Um, I'm going to pray, I'm going to get started, and then I'm going to introduce to you um, somebody who's, who's chosen to spend the morning with us for a little while. I think you're going to be really thrilled and love hearing what he has to say. So will you pray with me? Father, um, we come to you this morning and we, we're just thankful. We're thankful for godly leadership. We're thankful for um, the fact that you leave us with this guidebook that doesn't just show us more about who you are, but it shows us what you want for our lives, what you hope for us, what you know is best, not just good, but better. So thank you, Lord, um, that we get to come together today and talk about the book of Titus. Um, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I invite my special guest up here, I had um, just a couple of things I wanted to share with you guys. And so if you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Titus 1. That's where we're going to be today. And if you'll remember, when we, were, when we were talking last week, you guys finished up with chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And I said, ah, we're just going to put that off. We're going to talk about that next week. Well, here's the next week. So this week, we're going to really focus in on what Paul has to say to Titus about these elders, these overseers that he's going to choose in Crete. And that's going to be awesome because we're going to talk very specifically about um, what the qualifications are and the characteristics of these elders, but then also what the charge is for them. And that is that they are, are to confront and to silence and to rebuke the false teachers that were cropping up all over the place at the time. And so we're going to cover that in just a minute. But before we do, um, I just, I thought, you know, I know a lot of you are not Rock Point Church members, and we're glad you're here. And, and I will tell you this, I, I've been a Rock Point Church member for quite some time, and this is what's funny. I, you know, I, I, I think I know how things roll around here. I think I kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit, but honestly, I really didn't really know until we started studying Titus. And what I found interesting is, I knew we were an elder-led church. I knew that, and I knew it was based on Titus, and I knew it was based on 1 Timothy, but I didn't really kind of dig into it with my pastor and with my elders um, and with the leadership to really find out, well, what does that even mean? And so if you're a member here at Rock Point, I have a treat for you because we're going to share a little bit specifically about Rock Point Church, but then also I want to challenge you. If you have a different church, different church home, find out. What is your church founded on, and what are the principles, and where, where does that come from? It was fascinating to me um, to find that out. So before I invite him up here, I just wanted to share a few things. So I knew that we were an elder church, like I, like I said, but I decided that I needed a little more background, a little more information. So I got on the phone with um, our pastor, Ron Holton. That's always a treat. Is he in here? Oh, man, he's in here. Well, anyway, so here's the beauty about talking to him. Once he leaves, I'll tell you the real stuff. But so here's the cool part about having him on the phone. And I'm talking with him, and I'm asking him some questions. And he's like, hey, this is off the record, right? This is off the record, right? And I'm like, yeah, 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 off the record. I'm not going to tell anybody. It's fine. Um, no, I, I, but here's the thing. I love talking to him because he gave me a great background on what the vision is, was when Rock Point Church was started and it was decided that it was going to be led by a group of elders. And so I wanted to share that with you before I invited one of them up here. Ron told me this when I asked him. I said, okay, I, I'm just going to ask you flat out, why? Why did you choose to have a church that was led by elders? And this is what he said to me. He said that how can you ignore it when it's in God's word the way it is? How specifically it's laid out in Titus and 1 Timothy. And then you go on when you see the word elder, which is actually the same as overseer. Remember, those words are interchangeable. But that word is repeated over and over 58 times in the New Testament talking about church leadership. 
So I love that our pastor was like, hey man, I can't, we are a church that we believe the Bible is true, and how can I deny the fact that if there are directions given, I gotta obey those directions and follow. And so that's the first reason he told me. The thing he told me also is that he thought and, and the people that started the church, Rock Point, when they're sitting down and they're thinking through, how is this going to look, it, it, this is the beautiful thing. He said, we needed people that were called to a higher standard. We needed people that were respected and that had reputations. We needed people that had a spirit to represent Christ in everything they did, in every part of their lives. We needed people that were choosing to take on the role of accountability and that were willing to oversee decisions oftentimes really difficult decisions. And, and, and ultimately, when I said, okay, so an elder board, what is the primary purpose? And he said this to me, and I think you'll hear it echoed again in just a moment. He said, the primary purpose of an elder board for a church, and especially at Rock Point Church, is protection of the church, protection of you, every chair, every soul, every story. I love that. I love that I have a church that I can go, yeah. They're looking to protect me by providing leadership, godly leadership that we're going to learn a lot about in just a few minutes. Well, just like um, the Judean church, we have elders. And if you read through the New Testament and you look for that term, it's mentioned several times in Acts and then it's in 1 Timothy. And then, um, you know, there's the Titus stuff that we just read. But the thing I thought was interesting is that you always, always go back to Scripture for the truth. And, and what we know about elders is that they were appointed they were appointed. They were not necessarily throwing in an application and a resume. Like, hey, man, I'm super qualified for this. Here's why. They were visited and they were entrusted by the leadership of the church. So they succumbed to leadership and they were under authority. And in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says this, and Ron shared with me this was part of the principle for why he's also an elder as the lead pastor at our church that they direct the affairs of the church and some do the work of preaching and teaching. Meaning, not everyone, as Calvin will probably gladly admit, is going to get up here and preach on Sunday. That's what God has for Ron. But he's a part of the elder board as well and has a responsibility to teach the word of God. Rock Point, um, some of the specifics, and you can find them on the website just like I did. Or you can call Ron. I'll give you his phone number afterward. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. No, uh... Our elders at Rock Point Church are nominated by a covenant member who is serving in a ministry at Rock Point Church. That's how they're first nominated. And then there's a process they go about that's like an application process. All nominations, are they must meet the standards for an elder listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Cool, right? Like, that's your Titus, guys. Like, we've been working and studying on this. An elder must have served in the church for a minimum of two years, and an elder must have an active covenant membership. Here's the beautiful thing. Are those things written in Titus? No. Those specific things, not written in Titus. But what we do is we go by what the Word says and the truth, and then we infer from that what are going to be um, principles that we're going to apply in our church. So when I say that, I'm saying, like, if you go to a different church, you guys are probably going to have a different list of things that the elders are required to do. So just keep that in mind, okay? Well, I need to quit talking for a minute. So I am so excited to tell you this. Um, elders at Rock Point Church protect, and they are certainly God's provision, right? They meet our needs. 
right when we need them. But I have the privilege of introducing you today to one of our, our elders at Rock Point Church. But here's the beautiful thing about me getting to introduce him. is Not only is he my elder as a church member of Rock Point Church, but he was also God's provision in my personal life. Do you have those, those people, those Calvins in your life that God knew right at the right moment that you needed godly leadership and God provided? Well, that's what he is to me. So he's my church elder, but I'm going to introduce Calvin. He is also um, my father-in-law. So Calvin, will you come up here? And then I put a picture of us that was taken last week. Yeah. yeah. See what's really cool? Susan, your dress so pretty. <laughs> what's so fun about that picture is that he walked me down the aisle. Um, a lot of y'all know that I lost my dad at a young age, and when I talk about God's provision, God gave me this person to uh, walk me down the aisle. So we look just the same. It's like a mirror. <laughs> so weird. All right, have a seat. We're going to grow. I'll add a little bit to that. Oh, no. I, I jokingly say this. Uh, 25 years ago? Ish. I don't Ish. know. Something like that. I did give her away, and I'll be darned if I didn't get her right back. <laughs> You know, he's a lucky man. Um, so as I, was, uh, as I was thinking about this and about how, what a beautiful way to be able to explain um, what an elder is and what their purpose and what their characteristics and their qualifications are, I thought, I'll just invite one that I know personally that can't say no to me. Because I told Nana, and she said, oh, no, he can't say no. So I, I'm the boss today. Um, and so anyway, I wrote him up a few questions I thought you guys would enjoy hearing from his perspective. So I'm just going to read the questions, and I gave them to him in advance, so the answers will probably be really, really good. Um, okay, here's the first question. You ready? Who are you? How long have you been doing this at Rock Point? And briefly explain your, explain your role as an elder at Rock Point. Well, who, who am I? The, if interesting, I would tell you that most people will know me as Susan Murphy's husband, or Chris Murphy's father-in-law. And to add to that, I came in today, and you may know Wanda, that's, uh, she serves in our office, and I really hadn't sat down and talked to her or, or met her, so I, I walked in and I just wanted to say hello, and I said, so how are you? And, and she, she really didn't know who I was, and so I said, I'm Calvin Murphy. And she says, oh yeah, Susan Murphy's husband. <laughs> and Chris Murphy's father-in-law said, that's me. That's how we keep it. We're going to keep it that way. We, Susan and I have been here 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, and I've been on the elder board for 10 years and have enjoyed serving, and uh, it's been fun and rewarding, and uh, we look forward to being here for many more years. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we have spent the last week studying this first chapter of Titus, right? All the qualifications and all the responsibilities of elders. And so with, with that in mind, the logical question I would ask you is, are you perfect? Because I just read all that. So address that. Well, you probably <laughs> would have to ask Susan that question. <laughs> no, seriously, what I would tell you is I am perfect. I am a perfect sinner. Saved by grace, and and so love the Lord, and thank Him for all that's taken place in my life, and allowed me to participate and be involved here at the church. That's a pretty good answer, I guess. I guess we'll let that one go. Um, how have you had opportunities? Well, first tell them this: they're going to love. They're going to love this. Um, our the way our elder board is set up is the different elders have. 
Um, they work together as a group. I'll let you talk more on that in just a moment. But then they also have certain ministries that they um, oversee. And so Calvin oversees, I don't know, I mean, what, the best ministry. I don't know, I didn't say that, right? One of the best ministries at our church, Calvin has the gift of overseeing. And so I'll let him tell what that is. But how have you had opportunities to advocate for that ministry and how? Well, that ministry, obviously, is the women's ministry. And, uh, yeah. yeah, look, at there's no hands up it. over there. We don't play around. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really very easy to be an advocate for the women's ministry of our church. Um, you, you have seen different women's ministry come and go uh, in, in the community, and ours has sustained itself. And uh, the thing that I'll enjoy, and I will tell you, is over the years I've seen the tweaking of our ministry. Uh, some things we no longer do, other things we've added. And, and as we have gone along, and it's really not me, it's the leadership and everybody involved, and you. The thing that I would say I'm most pleased about is where you have settled. And you have settled in this point and you have come to the point to say the women's ministry of rock point will be a safe place you know we will we will make sure that all women who want to come here and who want to learn grow participate teach be involved can be assured that it will be a safe place for you and it and it truly is and and i'm uh, I'm, I'm proud of that, and, and um, it's a blessing for our church and a blessing for all the women that would, would want to come here. Awesome. Thank you for that. Well, one of the things I was wondering from, um, from his perspective as an elder was how has been being an elder for RPC, has it, has it, how has it grown your faith and your reliance on him? How has it challenged you? Like, wh what has it done for your personal relationship with the Lord? Oh, yeah. I, I would tell you, Susan didn't have a whole lot to work with when we got started. <laughs> and uh, I'll uh, give you a little bit of a personal story that was many, many years ago. Uh, I still today can remember the first Bible study that we went to. And Susan was patient, loving, drug me there. And as we got to the front porch of the house that we were going into, I turned to Susan. I said, now, Susan, if they ask me to do any of that prayer stuff, I'm out of here. <laughs> so she, with loving spirit, has uh, been involved in my life and certainly uh, helped me uh, grow and learn. And then, of course, being involved in the church and with God's help. And I would tell you, that what, I, what I see that has been just incredible is the redemptive spirit of God working in my life and in the lives of, uh, of the women and the men of our church. When you see what takes place, the changes in lives, you can't help but say, that's real. That's real. God's there. I love that. Redemptive spirit. I love that. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm sure you have a very busy day, all sorts of in, important things to do. Um, but I did want to know, what do you think the church um, needs to know and understand about the elder board? And then with that, how could we pray for our elder board or those who are at, you know, at other churches, the leadership in their churches, what would you say? Well, it's, um, 
It's much like the women's ministry. Uh, you've landed in a safe place uh, for, the, for the women that are here. And with that, I think you've also said we will be your friend. And I would want you to know that the elder board of Rock Point would m want you to know also that the church, as it's led by our elder board, is a safe place. And, and we're going to be your friend. And we're going to be there for you. And we're going to be firm. And we're going to be loving. But we're going to support uh, this ministry. And we're going to support... Uh, those that are involved in our church in a way that we see God's leading for us to do that. Awesome. Well, before he leaves, we're going to hold him down for just a minute, and Don's going to join us on stage and some of the leaders too, and we just want to pray. Sure. And um, look, I didn't even tear up not one time until just now. It's an honor to be able to have godly leadership, right? And so it's a super-duper gift to be able to pray over our leadership. So we're going to do that right now, and then we're going to let him run out of here. And, um, yeah, so Don, would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of um, just being in a church that, that pursues you and your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for Ron and his leadership and um, just those that were just the formative part of putting together our leadership structure. And um, we just thank and praise you that it is based on biblical principle. And, Lord, we just um, this morning just want to specifically thank you for the provision of Calvin and Susan uh, Lord, we thank you for blessing our women's ministry with um, s strong, ethical, moral, biblical leadership that um, Calvin dis dis displays and demonstrates on a, a daily basis um, in a humble and gentle way. Um, Lord, that his leadership is something um, that we all can see as a reflection of what you have instilled and called us to be as believers and as representatives of Christ. Lord, we pray just a blessing over him. I pray for his health, um, for his longevity. Lord, we pray that, um, that you would just continue to multiply his time, multiply favor with him and his wisdom. We ask that you continue to lead him as he leads us. Um, Lord, I just personally thank you for just the spiritual foundation that he provides for me as a sounding board and as a, um, a go-to. Um, Lord, I thank you that he is always available and always willing to step in when needed. Um, and that you have given him the authority um, and the, the direction to, to do so in a way that is um, highly honoring to you. So, God, we just thank you again for the privilege of um, being able to hear from his heart this morning. Um, I thank you that he um, has made himself available in, in, in the ways that he does. We pray a blessing over him as he goes today. Um, we pray a blessing over his marriage. And we just thank you again for um, blessing our church through him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bye, Papa. <laughs> well, that was, maybe it was more for me than anybody else, but uh, um, a gift for me to be able to be a part of that. Because like I said, not only has God provided godly leadership for me as a church member, but he has provided um, a Calvin, godly leadership in my life. And so as we go about this, I want you to remember this, about when you're reading about these elders and overseers, that, that God is providing these people in our churches, in our lives, not only to live out that godly leadership, but to model it for those of us who are following. 
And so when you think about that and you read through this, like sometimes I was telling Lauren backstage, you know, sometimes I'm reading through this. I'm like, what does this have to do with me? I'm not an elder. Now, I ain't never going to be an elder. They don't want to hear what I have to say. But, 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 but it is for me. Okay. So as you're going through this, I want you to think about that. How does this apply to who you are? How does this apply to how you're going to live for the ways that God's chosen you to be a godly leader or has godly leaders in your life? Um, so if you haven't opened your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Titus 1. Um, I loved this part. I loved getting to look at all these qualifications, and, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. Um, as we go through this outline today, you'll notice I put it in two different, well, we talked about this godly job description that we just got to hear about God's job description. God wrote the job description for being an elder, right? We didn't write it. God wrote it. And so we got to talk a little bit to Calvin and hear some specifics about how that looks. Well, now we're going to take a look at what Paul has to say to Titus about specifically two different um, parts of the job of a godly leader. And I broke it into parts this way. Number one is that he is to hold fast. These leaders are to hold fast. And we're going to talk about the character and qualifications. And then secondly, that um, they are to stay true to stay true. And so these godly leaders that are going to be appointed are going to need to silence and rebuke the false teachers. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want to share a really super cool thing with you. This is like family day for Chris. I mean, holy cow. Um, I have my sisters in here and I always, I don't even know if she, if anybody knows, if you talk to her for five seconds, you'll know, cause we're, we're real similar. But, um, when, we, when she was doing her homework this week, she texted me and she's like, Oh my gosh, do you know what hold fast means? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe, I guess. She is a, a, a Navy mom. Her son, her oldest son, is in the Navy. I don't know, is there any Navy people in here? Are you married to Navy people or have? Okay, so you're going to be like, you're going to know this. She texted me and said, I can't believe, I think it's verse 9, we're going to get there in a minute, where, where, where we hear Paul telling Titus that it's important for these elders to hold, I don't think it says, I think it says uh, hold firmly or hold, hold fast to the, to the truth of the scripture. And she texted me, she was so excited, she goes, you know, it has a meaning. It has a meaning in the Navy. And so she shared it with me. Well, then I got all excited. I'm like, oh, my gosh, guys, we got to talk about this. And, and first of all, show that. Yeah, we're all going to do that afterward. We're going to get knuckle tattoos. So stay later. It'll be fun. Um, hold fast, stay true. And, and the, this is a naval tattoo. And, and a lot of Navy men who work um, the decks of, of a ship, they put this tattoo on their hands, and it's a reminder um, you don't have to get a hand tattoo, by the way, but I did think it was super cool. Um, hold fast, stay true. As we're going through this and you're thinking about the Calvins in your life, in your church's um, leadership, I want you to think about the idea of holding fast and staying true. And here's the definition I found. That it's a nautical Navy term. And um, the hold fast has its origins from, from the Dutch. And what it means is hold quick. So when rough waters are ahead... More than just holding on, it's actually that the deckhands need to release what they're doing, what they're holding, and secure themselves to immovable, steady, secure ropes or riggings. And, and those are the things that are, that are always trustworthy and firm and never change and never move. Now, they're weathered and they're scarred and they're old things, but they're things that don't fail. Hold fast. A storm is coming. You'll hear yelled across the deck, hold fast, hold fast. That means drop what you are doing and hold on to what holds, what's secure. 
Now, along with the hold fast, like the cool tattoo, there's another term that when there's storms coming on a ship, that they're going to be screaming across the decks for everyone to pay attention. But this one is specifically for um, the person who's, who's, who's steering the ship. And, and that term is to stay true. And so you hear this ringing out, stay true, stay true, stay true. And what that means is winds and waves and storms are coming and they're going to hit hard and everything's going to look crazy and you're going to want to take cover or steer out of it, right? Or turn, but you need to stay true, stay the course. Hold fast, drop everything, hold on to what matters, Stay true, stay the course, because these circumstances, the storm, all the things, those are going to be temporary, and we have to stay the course. And so I love that she shared that with me. I can't look at you. <laughs> because I did, I just thought of all the godly leadership that we have in our, in our world, and, and Calvin is, is perhaps the most humble person you'll ever meet. In fact, he even told me, you know, several times, he's like, you're not going to, I'm just going to do this. I'm not just going to leave, right? I don't have to. He's just, he likes to be in the back and in the background and serve. And, and so when I thought of holding fast and staying true, I thought that's what we need to be praying over our leadership, that they can drop everything and they can hold on to what's secure and that they can stay true to the course, right? So let's take a look at what, what Titus, um, what Paul has to say to Titus specifically about these godly leaders. I'm going to read the first section here, which is um, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. So just follow along with me if you have your Bible. In verse 5, he says this, Paul says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer or God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. God's measure for leaders, right here. God's measure for leaders doesn't fluctuate and it doesn't change. And you don't see a bunch of if-then statements like, okay, but like, okay, asterisk. Like if, those things are all super important, but if you're in this circumstances or if you're in this town or if you, then, then we change it a little bit. That's not what we see, right? It's very specific. And so any culturally accepted norms, any specific circumstances occurring at the time, this is immovable. And so Paul's very clear about it. It's not subjective. I'm thinking to myself, like y'all, seriously, when Titus read that, how do you think he felt? Do you think he read that and went, so wait, what? Like that's, <laughs> I'm going to Crete. Guys, like have you read about Crete? Like have you even heard about it? Like these are the people. Because remember, he's sending him to these churches, these baby tiny little churches that have just been started. Now, don't picture a little white, you know, building with a picket fence and a steeple. Think about your small group. Okay, so like these churches were like in living rooms. They were tiny little gatherings of people who, who maybe were started by someone who has heard about Jesus or was at Pentecost. Or we don't really know exactly who started them, but there's several of them. They're kind of cropping up and, and people are kind of getting excited. And some people are standing up and teaching. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And so that's, he, he's telling him to go into those places and say, all right, here's the list. Can you imagine? Like it, that's hard to see people that live their lives like this in, in a big giant 
town like we live in, in a big giant church like we live in. And so that's what Titus, I'm just so curious, what is Titus thinking at this time, reading this, like, are you kidding me right now? Well, Paul's very specific. He lays out scripture, and he makes it very clear that it's very, very important. In fact, it's so important that four different times in the New Testament, you're going to hear it over and over in Acts 20, in 1 Timothy 3, in in Titus 1, in 1 Peter 5, all the specifications that are required. Personal character and theological competency are going to matter in the leadership of these new churches. Do they matter now? They matter now. Well, holding fast. God's standard for believers is very high. Okay? God's standard for believers is high. Aren't you glad you knew that? You're like, wait, I didn't know that when I signed up. Well, now you know. His standard is high. Here's what's interesting. The requirement for church leaders, for godly leadership is to set the standard, and then we're to follow it and model it. So when you read all these qualifications and all the things about the Calvins in the world that we have that are so amazing, I want you to remember, this isn't just like, yeah, Calvin, you better do these things. It's how am I seeing this standard set and lived out, and how am I choosing to attempt to model it in my life as a believer? That's what this is about. Well, verse 5 reminds us um, that you read it last week, right? And it says that uh, he's sending Titus to set things in order. And how is he going to do that? By choosing these people who are going to come to be the leadership of the church. Setting in order things that were lacking in Crete. Things were out of control. In fact, the real the, the Greek term there is actually a medical term for setting straight a bone that was broken or crooked. So he's saying, man, things are so broken. Things are so crooked And by choosing this godly leadership and giving them the charge to go out and rebuke and silence the false leaders, what's going to happen is we are going to set it straight. It's a big responsibility. About Titus, I found this quote somewhere. I'll plagiarize it real super fast, but I thought it was a great quote. I forgot to write who said it. But when, when you're thinking about Titus and the fact that Paul's giving him this great job, this huge job, think about this. Um, When a job is hard, there are basically two kinds of people And with one kind of person, you say, man, this job is really hard, so we can't send him. (laughs) And then the other kind is, man, this job is really hard, we got to send him. And so that's what he's basically doing, is is he's sending Titus, this job is going to be hard. You're going to have to needle in the haystack haystack to find some of these leaders. It's going to be difficult, but God is going to bless it. Titus seemed to be the second kind of man, didn't he? Well, okay, you read through all of these things, and so what are some specific things? I'm not going to go through every one of them because he gave us 17 qualifications, so we could be here like all day, and the child care workers would not be cool with that. So we're not doing that, but I am going to just hit some high points really quick. Um, what do we know? What, what, what do we need to know about when we read this passage? Well, the first, I would say, is that elder and overseer, those are interchangeable terms. So don't let those words confuse you. Um, if you see words like that, I mean, all, the, all he's doing is he's switching back and forth to, f- between a term that's a synonym. The second, I would say, is that there is no number. When he speaks of elders, you notice he doesn't give a number. Did you see that? He doesn't say, hey, so like how many guys, how many people? And he doesn't get specifics like that. We get no numbers, but I will tell you this. It's always spoken of in the plural. When you see the term elder or overseer, it's usually, well, it's, it's, it's always spoken of in the plural sense, meaning it's not just one dude, okay? An elder board is not one guy, and, and I think there's such um, protection and safety in that, right? And, and I don't, uh, I, I should have asked him while he was here, I believe we have four, four elders, one advisor, 
currently on our elder board, but there's not like this number where it's like, okay, hurry up, we got to find another guy because we got to always have four. It, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's however God is leading um, that. So there's no number specified. I want to encourage you here when you're looking through sp- specific lists and qualifications like this, always remember this. Look at what it says, not what it doesn't say. We do that, don't we? We go, well, it doesn't say, well, it doesn't say if it can be girls. It doesn't say if it can be a divorced person. It doesn't, what does it say? Okay, look, we're going to look at what it says and not what it doesn't say. So I want to encourage you in that way. Um, the, the, the third thing I would say about what we know about this passage is that he says that Titus is to appoint leaders in every city. Did you see that? Every single one. In other words, every single city where these little churches are cropping up, every single one of these little churches, there is someone in there that's worth finding to lead. And so now you have to go find them. Every city, big job. The last thing, and I would say this is the most important thing that I noticed about uh, this passage, is that qualified doesn't mean giftedness. Qualified doesn't mean giftedness. I mean, Calvin would sit here right now and tell you, I don't have any gifts. He's a very humble man. But he also was raised in West Texas, so I think that says something, right? Giftedness, West Texas, I don't know. But here's the beautiful thing. You can be qualified and not be gifted. You know, going to seminary doesn't necessarily qualify you for spiritual leadership. Um, Being a good speaker doesn't necessarily qualify you for spiritual leadership. Being of a certain age, career, tax bracket, doesn't qualify you for spiritual leadership. Godly character does. You see, it doesn't matter what Calvin um, um, does for a living, what his background is, what school he went to, his pedigree, his resume. What doesn't matter is all those things. What does matter is that he is a godly man chasing after the Lord. I love that he tells that story of when he was an early believer and he says, I ain't doing none of that praying stuff. And then we drag him on stage and pray over him. Like, what a full picture, right, of, of this, this walk of faith. I want that walk. Godly character is what does define a godly leader. Well, like I said, he goes into, Paul gives Titus 17 specific qualifications. I'm going to highlight a couple. Um, a couple that, that, were, that were stumbling blocks for me, and so frankly, that's why I picked them. So if there's a couple that we didn't hit that you want to talk more about, write down a little note, give it to your small group leader. I'll, I'll, if you have questions, I will find answers. That's what I will promise you that I will do for you. Um, okay, so the 17 qualifications. The first that I wanted to talk about was he uses a term when he's describing these elders that are going to be selected by Titus. He says that they should be above reproach, that they should be above reproach, they should be blameless. Remember that word? How scary is that word, blameless? Well, as Calvin pointed out, that doesn't mean that you're not sinless. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. Only Jesus was that. What that instead means is that this person is beyond accusation or public scandal. That this person is never saying, this is mine, but rather this person is saying, how can all that's mine and all that I am be used to honor God and build the church? You know, I read this and it's just like I can get really emotional because I know him personally. And I know that that that's true. How can I be used? Lord, use my time, my possessions, my ambitions, my talents, my lack of possession, my lack of talents. Just use me. That's what above reproach means. Not perfection, but rather willingness. 
The second thing um, that I felt like we needed to talk about a little bit was that term when Paul specifies that this, this elder is to be a husband of one wife. A husband of one wife. Um, again, focus on what it says, not what it doesn't say. What it says here is that this man, it, well, it's better explained um, with, with these words. Think of it like this way. That this man is to be devoted, respectful, and faithful to his wife. Devoted, respectful, and faithful to his wife. It's not speaking about singleness. It's not speaking specifically about divorce here. But instead, it's talking of an internal and an external purity or faithfulness. That's what it's talking about. So many of us have wounds and histories that we try to read things in where it's not there. Okay? So I want to encourage you, focus on what it does say. It says, here's, what I, here's, what, here's how the Chris version, which is always scary when they're recording, but Chris version is this. Um, I, know, I know this person, and I know how he honors and loves and respects his wife. Above all. So I can follow him. I can follow him because when he has to make difficult decisions about how our homes should run as believers, as members of the church, I can honor him and I can follow him because I know that what he's saying isn't just lip service. Okay? That's what that section means. And it, the kind of the same thing happens when you read the next one. It says, having faithful children. This one is better explained, in my opinion, if you read 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 through 5. So jot that down and take a look. But what it says is, that he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Now, because it says that his children, um, I, I think they, it says that they should have salvation. It, it, there's a, some of the terms that are used there can be misconstrued, but basically the understanding there is, remember this, the only one who knows Truly the heart of a believer is Jesus, right? God's the only one who really, really knows. Chris, do you really, really know me? Do you really have a saving grace? And so when you see that, know this. It, it, he's talking about what's happening in the home of these leaders. So if they have children at home, if they have a family under their roof, basically Ron said it this way, and I thought this was great. It's less about judging his family and more about asking, is he spending the time, energy, prayer, and focus where he needs to be? Home is the first mission field. That's the question here. The children under his roof, the home that he has, the wife that he has, is he focusing on them and taking care of his business at home before he stands up and makes decisions on behalf of the church for other marriages, for other families? Warren Wearsby says it this way, A wise father first wins his own family to Christ and then gives them a chance to grow before he pulls up the stakes and moves to Bible school. We would have fewer casualties in the ministry if this policy were followed more often. Take care of your home first. We need to follow that as well, right? Serving and, and doing things is, is wonderful and great, but we need to take care of our home first. Well, lastly, and I, I am way out of time, so I'm going to move through this quickly. Um, there's several, like I said, there's 17 different qualifications, but the last one I feel like it's critical that we understand is that, that he is to hold fast to the trustworthy word. God's word is trustworthy because in verse 7, remember what we learned about God, he cannot lie. He cannot lie. So his word is trustworthy. This is truth. And so he says, this is how these elders need to operate in their lives. First, they need to give sound instruction, grab hold to what's secure in the midst of the storm, right? 
And secondly, he says that they are to rebuke those who contradict it. Release whatever you were holding and hold on to what's firm. He talks in, uh, in verse 10 through 14, and I'm not going to have time to read that. But go back and look over that. I just want to hit a couple of things about this section. Because this is where he's given us the qualifications and the character traits of who these leaders are supposed to be. And now he's going to say, okay, so this is what these dudes have got to go do. So what they have to do is they have to silence and rebuke. Silence and rebuke. A few things to learn about that. I would say the, the first is... Um, Oh, yeah, I forgot I did that. Um, okay, so around here in leadership at our Bible studies, you know, we have this thing. We always are like, hashtag Tuesdays, right? Anybody? Yeah. And you know why? Because Tuesdays are usually when the bottom falls out of everything. It, it just happens. Tuesdays is all, right? Every Tuesday we're like, something's happening. Somebody's dog's vomiting. Somebody's kid's vomiting. Somebody's car's broken. Something happens on Tuesday. And you know why? I, 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 don't, I believe this with everything in me. I believe this because whenever God is at work, Satan shows up to try to mess it up. When God is at work, Satan is going to try to mess it up. And so that's what was happening here in Crete. It's like all of a sudden there's this cool revival going on. And you've heard me talk a lot about the Cretans and who they are. And even one of their own, one of their own dudes is quoted by Paul here in a minute talking about the people there. There's a revival of sorts happening. God is at work. There's things happening. People are excited. And so what's going to happen is the enemy's going to sneak in and try to mess it up. Tuesdays. Well, when God's at work, we have to identify the enemy to be able to fight the enemy, right? And so he's equipping him from the very beginning. He's saying, this is what's coming. You're going you're gonna to appoint these guys. And what they have to do first thing is they have to deal with the lies and they have to call them what they are. And then we have to silence them. Tuesdays. Well, silencing and rebuking false teachers. The thing we know about these false teachers that are mentioned here is that, number one, they were rebellious. Okay, what that means is they were not under authority. You know, like the beautiful thing about our church, I mentioned this last night, I'm going to share it with you too. Um, some of these people that are false teachers may have had really good intentions. They, they weren't necessarily, you know, like evil. They just didn't have truth to guide them. And so they would take a little bit of Jesus and add a little bit of something else, Jesus plus this, and, and tell people that that was truth. Well, we don't need Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. And so I, I think about them. I think, well, they're rebellious. They're not living under authority. Sometimes we unwillingly are rebellious and unknowingly are not living under authority. A few years ago, I'll say this. Um, I shared this last night. A few years ago, I was, gosh, it's a lot of years ago now. Ooh. Um, I had the gift when I was back when I was pregnant with babies, and there was a group of us that, that, that couldn't get to a Bible study like this. There weren't a lot of them around that had child care. It was tough. And so in the summers, we would, we would get together, and we would go to the store, and we'd go, which Beth Moore do we want to do? We'll do that one. Okay. So we'd just get a Bible study, go home. And all I did, all I did was, was distribute books and push play for the video. Okay. So it wasn't like a big thing. But as the years went on, every summer we would do this. And the groups got bigger. And then we had childcare. When I say childcare, I mean we hired some 12-year-olds to herd. Okay? That was about it. Dangerous. <laughs> it was very dangerous. But, but it became this thing that kind of there was more people and more people and more people. And then when I came to Rock Point Church as a member, I started getting convicted about something. And here's what it was. That all of the, that what started out as a group of girlfriends, five of us on the floor with newborn babies doing this and trying to read the Bible, turned into something bigger where people had expectations 
about, about me and my leadership. And, what, and you know what dawned on me one Sunday as I was sitting in church, new to this church? No one has authority over me. No one's checking to see what I'm saying. I mean, I show up and I push play, but I say some stuff. I mean, y'all met me now. You know I say stuff. No one's, no one's checking. And, I, and, it, and it, it, it made me, I got real panicked. And so you know what I did? I called the church and I said, who's the women's ministry person? And, and I'm, I got to hear her voicemail. I left her voicemail. I said, I need to get with you. And we sat at Corner Bakery. And I, I felt weird because I didn't know her. And the teaching leader was there. And they sat on this side of me. And I'm facing and I'm like, I have to tell you all something. And I'm sure they had no, oh, God, who knows what they were thinking. But what I told them was this. God's given me this opportunity to study his word with these people. And no one is checking on me. Nobody, nobody is checking on what I say. No one is checking on what I do. And you know what happened? They were so great. And I think that's the path that got me here eventually was they said to me, you know, they gave me such wise counsel like, you know, we'll do whatever you want, however you want us to check, however you want us to keep you accountable. But you know what God moved me to do? End it. And I ended it. And a lot of my friends got real mad at me. I'm not going to lie. But I was an un- unwillingly, unknowingly, I was rebellious because I wasn't under authority. So you have these teachers that are out there teaching what they think sounds good and everybody likes it because they have cute shoes or whatever. And, and so instead he's saying these leaders that you bring into the church are going to have to, they're going to have to silence them and they're going to have to rebuke them. But here's the beautiful thing about it is they were talkers. They had a lot of fancy things to say. They were deceivers. And like I said, they may or may not have really known. But this is what was important is that these leaders needed to protect the Cretans from this false leadership. The thing that I think is so interesting about this passage is, is he says this. Remember, when he talks about rebuking them, he says that you are to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Did you catch that? Like rebuke. Okay, these are false leaders teaching stuff that's not true. It's like Jesus plus some stuff. And Paul's telling him the leaders are to rebuke them that they may be in the sound in the faith. You know what that means? That God's goal is always to recover. He's always about recovery. He's always about redeeming. And so these people that are like Chris circa 1990-something, I don't even know when, they may not have had the hope to lead people astray, but, but instead these leaders are going to be able to go and surround them, provide authority and provide leadership, and hopefully bring them back in. I love that. I love that even in the midst of all of this stuff that seems very rigid and strict and everything, that we see the heart of God. He wants them to be rebuked and silenced and corrected, but lovingly welcomed back in. I love it. Well, hold fast. Stay true. What does that mean in your life? I I was thinking about that, you know, release the things that I was doing and secure to the immovable, steady, secure things in the midst of the storm. Where are the places that I need to hold fast? Where are the places that I need to stay true? Don't let circumstances change the course God's got us on. I've got so many. I've got storms flying at me from all directions, and I'm sure you do too. And so when you think about the Calvins, when you think about the Calvins who are, who are wisely leading our churches. I want to I challenge you with something. I want you to think about who are the Calvins that God's provided in your life? 
Who are the Calvins that God has taken, whether it be church leadership, which is fabulous, but do you have those Calvins in your life that he's dropped in when you're a 15-year-old girl and your dad dies very suddenly and all of a sudden you have no daddy on earth and then God gives you a Calvin to walk you down the aisle? If you don't have those strong, steady, godly leaders in your life, pray for them now. Pray, I'll join you. We will join you and pray for them now because I love that Calvin is my elder, but I also love that he's my, he's my Calvin. Who are the Calvins that you have in your life? And they set the standard. And so my, my secondary question to that would be then, who are the Calvins you have in your life? And are, they're setting a standard and they're modeling it for you. He's modeling something for me. Do I just accept and receive or am I attempting to try to, to live that way? Who are the Calvins in your life who set standards and model them? And where is God providing opportunities for you then to be a Calvin to the Cretans? I, I, I would ask you to pray about that because if you think people aren't looking and watching and if you think they're not looking for you to lead because they know you have something, there's something, who are they? Pray with me. Father, um, Thank you for the Calvins. Thank you that um, I love the fact that so many of the Calvins that we have in our lives are the ones that we don't even know their face. Like, like he was saying with Wanda, we don't even know. All we know is that they are impacting and modeling a life that chases hard after you, God. Will you bring to mind, bring to light those people in our lives that are doing that for us? Then God, not only will you show us who the Calvins are, but will you remind us that that we're to look at them as a standard and we're to look at them as a model for how you want us to live our lives. Godly leadership isn't just about some, some folks who meet in a room behind the, the church office. Thank you that you give us all this for us. I pray that we can be Calvins in our day-to-day -day life, Lord. Show us the places that you require qualifications and character that isn't earned by a resume, but rather because of our character and because of who you are drawing us to be more like and that's your son thank you for jesus thank you for his life lived as an example and thank you for this day in jesus name amen